Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, April 16th, 2019, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-host for the evening, Anastasia. Lavendar is taking a much-needed rest from her busy schedule, so she won't be taking any new clients until July. We have one spot that has opened up for our previously sold-out Starseed Quest in May, so if you feel the pull and the call to join us, Please write quickly to crystals at starseedhotline.com for more info because we will be closing the doors very soon. Our special guests this evening are author Catherine Landry and her publisher Karen Stuth of satiamapublishing.com. That's S-A-T-I-A-M-A. Catherine is part of our Starseed community, and Karen has been a guest with us before, so we're happy to have them both with us tonight to talk about Catherine's new book, The Way of the Simple Soul. It's particularly rewarding for us since we suggested to Catherine that she contact Karen to get this wonderful book published. And you'll be inspired by Catherine's personal story and her book, The Way of the Simple Soul, is a story of an extraordinary message gifted in an even more extraordinary way through an ordinary man. It's a blueprint for working directly with your soul to achieve profound joy and immeasurable inner peace. This is a traveler's guide for seekers, a quenching experience for the spiritually thirsty, and an inspiring template for those who want to deepen their sense of something transcendent. It's a book meant to be read by anyone who wants a meaningful and intimate relationship with their soul. You can visit Catherine's website, which is Catherine Grace Landry. And Catherine is C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, Grace Landry, L-A-N-D-R-Y.com. And her book is also available on satiamapublishing.com. And once again, satiama is S-A-T-I-A-M-A, publishing.com. And it's also available on Amazon. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy and Jada for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for our guest. We have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. And you can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. If you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here and you'll get our weekly show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. And the Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Anastasia or myself. As I mentioned earlier, Lavendar is taking a much-needed rest, but she has started scheduling again for July and August. If you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by just requesting your solar return timing. And if you want the stage two interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it uh, about four months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. 
So first up this evening, I want to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. I clicked the button and it jumped. Oh, no, hang on, Anastasia. Okay, there it goes. <laughs> All right. Good evening, It's always Mario. a mystery with this software. <laughs> hey, how you doing, you Anastasia? I'm doing great. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Good, good. Well, lots of news. Um, I'm going to try to focus mostly on the things that you haven't heard on mainstream. Um, experts are now predicting a long, deep solar minimum, by the way. An international panel of researchers that was led by NASA and NOAA have released a new prediction for the solar cycle. They tell us that the current solar minimum is going to deepen, potentially by reaching a century class low in the next year or so. This will be followed by a new solar max in the years 2023 to 2026. So it looks like we're going to have a four year, uh, four years of the solar minimum left to go yet. Pretty interesting. And mm. in the news from our Earth Changes Department, the weakening of the Earth's magnetic field has greatly accelerated. This is really interesting. They tell us that Earth's magnetic field is getting significantly weaker. The magnetic north pole is shifting at an accelerated pace, and scientists are now openly admitting that a sudden pole shift could potentially cause trillions of dollars in damage. Now, today, everybody takes the protection provided by the Earth's magnetic field completely for granted. Of course we do. It's been with us forever. It's essentially this enormous force field that surrounds Earth and makes life possible. But even with this kind of protection, a giant solar storm could still strike our planet and completely fry our power grid. You know, for those of you who went without power during the winter or even during the summer during storms, wow, do we rely upon electricity and every other convenience now provided by power. We need it to get groceries. It runs cash registers, gasoline, you name it. Well, as our magnetic field continues to get weaker and weaker, Experts are telling us that even smaller solar storms will have the potential to be damaging. And if the magnetic field gets weak enough, we'll be facing even much bigger problems. Well, all along for years now, scientists have told us that the magnetic field has been weakening by about 5% every 100 years. But now, we are being told that the data collected from the swarm satellite indicates that the rate of decay is now 5%. Per decade. That's just what wow. they're telling us. Well, Mount Aso in Kumamoto, Japan, has erupted for the first time in two and a half years. That happened two days ago on the 14th of April. The Japan Meteorological Society detected that the volcanic tremors at Mount Aso had begun intensifying and large volumes of volcanic gas was being emitted. And a white blanket of snow, or hail, excuse me, covered Athens. Very rare hailstorm in that, storm in that part of the world. Uh, the hailstorm hail came with a torrential rainfall that hit Athens City yesterday. And they said that there has been adverse conditions that have affected wide swaths of Greece. They say that uh, Greece has expected severe weather for the past week. Photographs on the Internet show that the, the roads uh, in Athens were white completely white with the being covered by the hail. Now that is a Mediterranean country, warm and lovely, but they had a hailstorm that covered the ground with white hail. Wow. And you know, this is the time of the year. Every year we seem to get these kinds of reports beginning in January about these strange uh sounds in the sky. 
Well, on April 10th, a YouTuber recorded two strange sound events he heard in Shirehampton in the Bristol, UK. He says, this was April 10th, he says, I heard twice, uh, a strange sound twice on the 10th and 11th of April. Repetitive trumpet sounds, metal grinding sounds, very loud. It woke up my children and then it woke me up. It's very strange. I'm not sure what to think. We were all spooked by it. Well, also, back in March, another YouTuber recorded video and sound of strange sky noises he heard in Dublin, Ireland. According to him, he said, quote, persistent and irritating strange noises coming from the sky. It was captured on the morning of the 15th of March, 2019, from North County in Dublin, North County, Dublin, excuse me. The noise first started about two years ago and seems to have increased in frequency and intensity. The noise is heard in all types of weather, night or day. It's been heard in different locations along Dublin's north coast simultaneously. I can categorically state that it is not wind or weather related. And a resident reported back in February of strange trumpeting sounds heard in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He says that when I started to hear this strange sound from my office at 10 in the morning, I thought first it must be the snow plows or machinery scraping the asphalt. But when I opened the window to hear it better, it struck me as being extremely similar to the weird sounds heard worldwide within the last few years, including several incidents in Quebec. It went on intensely for about 20 minutes, and then I could still hear it sometimes through the afternoon through my windows less loudly. And finally, in January, one resident reported strange noises heard in the skies of Ohio. He said, this morning there were the strangest, weirdest noises in the sky. At first I thought it was a jet, but there was no jet in sight. There's no airport around where I live. The sky was dark and it was windy, but this definitely was not thunder or wind. The sounds were way louder and more frequent. And when I started to record it, it lasted for 45 minutes to an hour. And this uh, person reported the scraping sounds and the odd, creepy sounds coming out of the sky. So this is the time of the year when these noises are often reported, just about now on a yearly basis. So from January through uh, a couple of days ago, this is the reports that I've been able to pick out of the news. And I said I wasn't going to report on things from the mainstream, but I will mention this in our Earth Changes Department, that at least eight people have died as severe weather moved across the southern U.S. on Saturday. You all probably know about that. Uh, Tornadoes ravaged homes in its path. This happened in eastern Texas. And uh, the National Weather Service confirmed that this was an EF3 tornado, saying that peak winds reached about 140 miles per hour in Franklin, Texas. Now, news from our science desk. This is cool, guys. Listen to this. They have developed a new device that creates electricity from snowfall. Now, when you think about that, you know, they're so interested in investigating the Arctic and the Antarctic. Hmm, this could come in very handy. Yes, UCL researchers and colleagues have designed a new device that creates electricity from falling snow. It's the first of its kind. They say it's inexpensive. It's small, thin, and flexible, just like a sheet of plastic. They tell us that the device can work in remote areas because it provides its own power and doesn't need batteries. It's a very clever device. 
a weather station that can tell you how much snow is falling, the direction the snow is falling, and the direction and the speed of the wind. Now, the researchers call it a snow-based triboelectric nanogenerator, or snow-tang. Now, a triboelectric nanogenerator generates charge through static electricity and then produces energy from the exchange of electrons. Wow. Amazing. I can't can't wrap my mind around that one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they'll find a way to make it. You don't think of snow as static electricity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just think about that. Well, anyway, it's been reported that a bot enabled uh, user interface between human brains and cloud storage systems will occur within just a matter of decades. They say before the century is out. The advances in nanotechnology, nanomedicine, AI, and computation will result in the development of a human brain cloud interface that connects neurons and synapses in the brain to vast cloud computing networks in real time. That's the prediction of a large international team of neurosurgeons, roboticists, nanotechnologists, who wrote in the journal Frontiers in Neuroscience. They say a human brain cloud interface, sometimes dubbed the Internet of Thoughts, theoretically links brains and cloud-based data storage through the intercession of nanobots positioned at strategically useful neuronal junctions. Instant access to information thus becomes possible without the need for external architecture such as computers and Internet cables. Search and retrieval exercises will be initiated by thought patterns alone. Now, if ever fully realized, as they promise it will be, this human brain modification will far exceed the imaginative limits of early cyberpunk science fiction authors and lead very near to the end game of the post-human and cyborg movements. <clears throat> Cold chills, uh, anyone? Yeah, well, yeah, that that just kind of yeah. leaves my knees shaking. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, that's real creepy. Well, Elon Musk has scientists working on brain probes for DARPA. They ought to leave our brains alone, don't you all think? But anyway, they're not doing that. And last month, a team of scientists affiliated with Elon Musk's Neuralink project published a paper identifying a new technique for inserting probes into brains. It was noted at the end of the study that the research was funded through a DARPA contract. There is our government at work. The team is developing this technique in hopes of building technology that is capable of monitoring brain activity, and the study has been deemed the sewing machine for minimally invasive neural recording, since the technique itself works sort of like a sewing machine. I quote what they're telling us about it. They say, quote, here we demonstrate the feasibility and scalability of this approach, with a system incorporating fine and flexible thin film polymer probes, a fine and stiff insertion needle, and a robotic insertion machine. Together, the system permits rapid and precise implantation of probes, each individually targeted to avoid observable vasculature and to attain diverse antinomical targets, the study says. Well, that leaves much open (laughs) for contemplation. And we really must think about uh, the previous articles about human trials were uh, uh, 
scheduled for brain implement excuse me for brain implantation of DARPA microchips. Uh, DARPA has been involved in human control programs. Uh, they're really working on chips to connect brains to computers. They want to learn how to hack the brain to make you learn faster. All right. As if that's not bad enough, we are going to move now to the mad scientist department. That didn't qualify for the mad scientist department, guys. That's the technology department. Now we're going to go to the mad scientist department, and it is about scientists in China. Fasten your seatbelts. They have added a human gene, or human genes, to the rhesus monkey DNA, making the monkeys smarter. No kidding. Now, you all remember the 2011 film Rise of the Planet of the Apes and how that movie begins with concerned scientists that are attempting to cure Alzheimer's disease with this experimental drug that they're testing on chimps. Naturally, if you recall the, the movie, things spiraled out of control, eventually leading to super smart chimps, a pandemic, and then two sequels that, that made about $481 million at the box office. Well, after watching movies like that, you might think that scientists in China, a country that has already given the world its first set of genetically altered twins, and at least 86 cases of testing CRISPR technology on humans, despite warnings from the global scientific community, uh, people in China might know that perhaps it's not a good idea to monkey about with primate brains, but they have ignored that, and they have successfully added microcephalin. This is a human gene responsible for fetal brain development. They added microcephalin to the genome of 11 rhesus monkeys, and it seems to be making the monkeys smarter. Yes, it's all true. And according to scientists whose research was published in the National Science Review, quote, the transgenic monkeys exhibited better short-term memory and shorter reaction time compared to the wild-type controls in the delaying mechanism to sample task. The presented data represents the first attempt to experimentally interrogate the genetic basis of human brain origin using a transgenic monkey model. And it values the use of non-human primates in understanding human traits. According to MIT Technological Review, 11 embryonic monkeys were exposed to a virus carrying this gene, and the five that ended up, that survived with this gene, uh, they say that they, the monkeys contain two to five copies of the gene. Now, if those monkeys reproduce, well, there we go. All right. How about some news from the sanity department? It just occurred to me that they're trying to turn monkeys into humans and humans into monkeys. <laughs> well, no, maybe that's yeah, apropos, Make the monkeys right? smarter and make the humans dumber. You know, wow. If that isn't the bottom line, touche. <laughs> yeah. That's just about the size of it. Well, let's talk about something nice. And... Uh, I was noticing some ants in my house the other day. It's warming up, and the little bugs and critters are out. And I thought this might be interesting to all of you. I certainly am going to apply it. In fact, I have. Here's a way to make a non-toxic spray to keep the ants out of your kitchen, your bathroom, wherever you find them. Now, I want to let you know, first things first, I secretly love ants. I love anything that's alive. So if you're looking for a homemade formula to, you know, get rid of these little creatures, uh, zap them into oblivion, just forget about listening to me because we're not going to go there. But if you're looking for a nice, sweet way to thwart their entry into your house, then there's an organic method I can share with you tonight. And it's very simple. 
It's a mixture of citrus rinds and vinegar. It's non-toxic, uh, which is more than could be said for most commercial insect sprays, and nobody should have in their kitchens, let alone in their houses. And it's also a good way to use up your fruit peels. So in this formula, the D-limone or the D-limonene, <laughs> I don't know, D-limonene in the citrus uh, mixes with the vinegar. And what that does is disrupt the pheromone trail that the ants use to navigate along their little paths. They smell their way around. They send out little scout ants, and then they make a little trail, and then they're able to find their way back, and then they have a path into your house. And so you want to spray that around the uh, openings of your kitchen, along the doorway, or underneath the sink, around the pipes, or wherever you think they're coming in. And it's simple. You add citrus rinds, such as lemon, lime, orange, or grapefruit, to a pot, and then put in some white vinegar to cover your rinds. Just stir it gently until it comes to a steaming condition. Don't let it boil. Make it choke with the vinegar. So just bring it up to a warm steam. You'll smell it anyway, but you'll survive. And then turn off the stove and let it sit for maybe overnight. Strain the liquid into a spray bottle and store it in the fridge. And then you just simply put that out where you need it. And they don't like it. And they will divert their path elsewhere. You could spray that around the outside of your house, uh, wherever. You know, just along the uh, foundation. Keep them away from the house altogether. So that's very helpful. Try it if you have ant trouble like I have had recently. All right. Well, that's it for tonight's news. And uh, from my heart to each one of you, I hope you have a beautiful week and much love to each and every one of you. Thanks, Ariel. I'll get you again next week. I'll be back. Okay. Thanks so much, Anastasia, uh, for bringing you us bet. the Star Seed news and, and the good, some good helpful hints. <clears throat> yeah. So that's we'll, great. Uh, we'll talk to you next week then. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay. So I'm um, going to get I'm going to get our guest online here. I'm just looking um I don't I don't see Karen's number here, but I do see Catherine, so we'll just get that mic open. Hey Catherine, welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. Hi, Ariel. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. It's it's really kind of a, a, a coming homecoming thing um, because we've. I mean, you've been part of our community for a long time, and mm-hmm. I'm just so I'm so proud of you for getting this book completed and getting it out there. And um, it's a wonderful book. So um, we're gonna. I'm gonna keep looking because Karen was going to. Um, join us but I just I don't see her number yet so she might be having a little trouble getting in but um, we'll watch for her and uh, Kathy and Jada if you happen to see her um, let me know uh, in case I can't see that part of the switchboard so your book is called The Way of the Simple Soul and uh, from what I read in the in the um, the chapters that I was sent is that even the title was given to you um, in a very extraordinary way, uh, but before we get into you know the book and and how that all came to be, uh, let's just have some background on on who you are. Um, what is your life like? What was it like? And what's it like now? Um, start with your your you know your childhood and how you were raised and what you were taught to believe. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, sure. The I think I probably had a very normal, what you would call average, normal kind of childhood and upbringing. There was, um, I was raised in a in a Christian family, and I have two brothers and parents, and um, uh, nothing really uh, stood out um, to me as being overly traumatic or difficult. We we were happy. We did all the usual things that that families tend to do. Um, over the years, and I, I, I grew up in, in Canada, and um, we moved around a fair bit. I spent a lot of my time out in natural environments, um, and then went to university and got a job and got married and had kids. Now I have grandkids, and, and uh, you know, I, I felt that, that, that my life was just, it was a good life, you know, it was, it was a really good life. Um, and there wasn't really anything I needed to be too concerned about. Um, and I still don't think there's anything really to be concerned about, but what happened as a result of my connection with this elderly gentleman, that, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, um, was that I ended up going back over my entire life um, and re-looking at, at certain incidents that happened from the standpoint of a soul and the soul of a child um, and the psyche of a child. And so I re-looked at things and that gave me some very different kind of insights into myself, certainly, um, well, obviously myself and, and how I was formed and um, conditioned and so forth and where I have come uh, to be at this point in my life. Okay, so that's that's a good start. So, um, <laughs> um, you want to just uh, talk just a, a couple of minutes uh, about your? I mean, your, your you were in corporate world for for twenty two yes, years, was. and you were I, very successful. Yep, I was. I was a. I I had a twenty two year career in um, in the corporate world, and I was a uh, in marketing, communications, and and fundraising, and. Um, uh, and there was a point, though, at when I turned 50, uh, where uh, I was given an opportunity um, to move out of the corporate world, um, and I took it, uh, which was a little strange for me because it was kind of a jumping out into the unknown, so to speak. Um, but I was getting a little bit, I guess, a little bored, a little antsy with with that whole uh, scene in the corporate world. So I took the opportunity, I left, and um, the key piece there is that I, I, I thought, okay, I'm 50, I've got a lot of energy, I've got a ton of, of life ahead of me, I've got decades um, ahead of me of life, what am I going to do? And, and I thought, well, this is very exciting, you know, um, I, can, I can do whatever I want, I can, I can dream, I can come up with all sorts of fun stuff, but the reality is that that um, you have a whole day to fill. So whereas when you're when you're busy with with marriages and children and working and so forth, you you kind of your agenda is kind of set out for you. Then all of a sudden, here I am at fifty, going, okay, what am I going to do to fill my days and my weeks and my months? And it it's not a case of thinking, oh, I want to travel. Well, that could be in two months. It's what am I going to do today? 
you know, these eight hours of the day or these 12, 15 hours of the day. And so it was fascinating because I hadn't even, that hadn't even occurred to me when I decided to leave the the job I was in. Um, And a friend of mine said, well, you know what, since you can't decide exactly what you want to do, why don't you sign up for some yoga teacher training? And I had done a little bit of yoga over the the previous 10 years, not much. Um, And I thought, oh, well, you know, what the heck? Okay. So I signed up for, and it was a a, a, a one-year um, yoga teacher training course, you know, 400 hours of, of classes, et cetera. And that was a fascinating thing because that kick-started um, a whole uh, change in direction for me where um, I went from being a very externally oriented, well, I was in marketing, communications, and fundraising, very externally oriented person, uh, very communications oriented, very, you know, have fun party oriented as well, and into uh, an an internal track and was getting, you know, teachers throwing questions at me to do with my internal workings, my internal psyche, my soul what the heck's that you know well I kind of knew what a soul was but I kind of didn't you know um so it started a whole (laughs) it it started a whole um seven year journey um uh where I just went with the flow uh kicking and screaming along the way at times um because I think once we start this process down the road to look at our inner our inner self our psyche our soul once you start that process um the soul kind of goes yay and you, it's gonna it's gonna move you down uh, move you down that road whether you kind of want to or not. So it was fascinating. It took about seven years um, to really link all the pieces of the puzzle of myself and my soul together. And in the course of those seven years is when I met uh, had this experience with this elderly man that resulted in in the book. Wow. Well, hmm. tell us about this. About the book? <laughs> about no, about the man. About the man. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it was fascinating because um, he uh, he was my father-in-law, actually, um, and um, I knew him for my second marriage. So I'd only known um, him for about ten, fifteen years, um, and he was quite elderly when I got to know him. Uh, and so the, the the impetus for the story that I wrote, uh, the Simple Soul story, was the day, the moment that he passed away. Um, and we were all at his bedside as he was um, dying. And as his soul, I was watching for some reason, again, you know, some of these things, they happen without us realizing what we're doing. And there was something in me that was that was making me watch him very, very intently. And and there was a part of my brain going, why are you watching him so intently? But the other part was going, no, 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 keep watching. And at one point, I could see that he was, the soul, his soul was passing and out of his body. And I put my hand, I had this compulsion to put my hands on him. And I put my both my hands on him, and at that moment there was a connection between his soul and mine, and um, a part of his soul kind of attached itself to mine or me. Um, and I had no idea at the time this is what was happening. I was just following these compulsions to do this. So in a couple of hours after 
after the you know everything was all kind of wrapped up there the family had had moved away we were home and um i was about 3 or 4 hours later and i became very 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 sick i actually thought i was going to have to call an ambulance so my first thought was oh no 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 i can't be the center of attention today um but i was really sick and uh it passed the, the sickness passed but that day but then it continued it came back and came back and so for the next number of months um I had this, like I, I describe it in the book as like this volcano in my digestive system and in my body that just, it was like fiery, acidy heat that just burnt, was burning everything. And I went through um, medical the medical profession. They did all the, the, the tests that one would expect them to do, proclaimed me completely healthy, and they couldn't understand why I was having all these symptoms. Um, and eventually I reached the point where I couldn't even eat anything. Nothing was, was staying in. So that led me into the hands of, of alternative medicine, energy healers, anything I could find, uh, anything that anyone suggested I would try, just to try and figure out what was going on. And ultimately, um, through uh, some se- a couple of sessions with a shaman, um, and again, shamans, I mean, this was something that was completely outside of my experience uh, to that point. Um, but through this wonderful, wonderful woman, um, she was able to steer me where I needed to go. And so I ultimately was able to to get into a very deep medita- meditative state and connect with the soul of the gentleman and find out what, what, why was he attached, what, what was what did he want to tell? Was there something he wanted to tell me? Yes, there was. What was it? What was the message? And what was I to do with this message? And we kind of, why did this happen? So that kind of brought me to uh, that point. I did manage to connect. It was one of the most transcendent experiences of my life, connecting with, with this other soul. And uh, he passed the message, uh, uh, um, the message that he wished to pass to me. And um, and then he said, write the way of the simple soul. And, and I kind of went, write um, blog, story, book, what? Book, write about the message. And um, so from that point onwards, um, I had to figure out how to translate the message into words because a lot of these transmissions, soul to soul, they're very... Um, it's like something you know. Sometimes you hear words or you see images, but often it's like, oh, I just know. I'm, I'm getting that message and I know what it is in my being, in my soul. I know what that is. But then to translate that into words, um, that's where it started me on the whole journey of kind of looking more deeply at my own self to try and figure out, well, what did he mean by simple? What did he mean by the way of the simple? What is what is particularly the word simple? And and um, you know, simple has the word simple has many connotations. And in this instance, he meant it to be uncomplicated, and that was it, just uncomplicated. There was a very simple, uncomplicated part uh, to our soul that that came through in the message. So that's how I got into writing the book. Um, it. And, and the book is basically a story. I wrote it in story format because it is a story. It's a story of 
how the message came through, what the message is, and how I came to understand it and how I was able to then write it. So um, it, it is, it's, a, it's a story. That. Well, um, <clears throat> the, the retrospection that you did as um, a uh, – oh, they're texting me uh, – the, the, the story that you did in retrospection of your life – and mm-hmm. connecting all the dots, I thought that was mm-hmm. just—it was fascinating, because I mean, seemingly inconsequential, unrelated things started compounding in your mm-hmm. life, and and led to this this kind of—you uh, you talk about your soul wandering around. Um, yeah. So, could you explain that concept? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. The uh, I, I think the way that I write it in the book is I say that, you know, at the age of six, my soul walked out. And at the age of 50, I think it's 56, it walked back in again. And so there's this 50-year gap and, and what happens. So what makes a soul walk out? What makes it walk back in again? And and the the concept of a soul, I don't think the soul actually completely walks out. Obviously, our soul is that intangible something that um, that is our engine it fuels our entire physical existence so it's not going to completely walk out and leave us but um, there's there are parts of it I think the soul has many different parts it's not just one thing and there are parts of it that can kind of wander perhaps wander out a little bit and and or uh, just step to the side and 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 I think that that sometimes what happens is that the things that happen to one happened to us, and and this is what happened to me, the things that happened to us in our childhood. Children are like little sponges, as we know, um, and they feel things uh, in, with an intensity of an adult. Like, we think we feel things very, very intensely as adults, but children also feel things, as we know, with that same intensity. And so, um, some things that we look on from our adult life and think, oh, that's nothing, really. Um, a child is is feeling this with with a great intensity, and it has a traumatic can have a traumatic um, effect or uh, psychically psych, psych in their psyche. There is a memory uh, that's buried of the how that feels to them. The it's the feelings of of that 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 they remember. So there were a few things that happened in my in my um, in my growing up years that that um, when I started to go back over this time, I recall they re- they started to recall to my memory. They came up from the deep, so to speak. Um, one was um, when I was three, uh, two, three actually. I apparently used to go out on the front porch of our house every morning and stand with my hands on my hips and survey my domain. Um, and and the neighbors apparently this is part of our family stories. The neighbor would say, "There she is, Catherine. She's out there looking at her domain." Um, and one day I decided, you know, I I wanted to go and see what was out there. And so I think yeah, I was three and I wandered off and ended up in you know on on the corner of a main street in Toronto. Toronto is a metropolis of many millions of people. Um, on this corner, and a nice little policeman had to <laughs> walk me back, and, and my mother was at, you can just imagine as a, as a parent, I mean, she's running down the road going, where's my three-year-old child? Absolutely petrified, and and her being so petrified for the safety of her child, of course, that imprinted on my soul as fear of 
going outside of your environment, your house. So stay in the house, it's safe. Don't go outside, it's not safe. Well, to a, to a three-year-old's um, brain uh, and emotions and, and, and soul, well, that's, that's a pretty strong message. And that was one that, that carried through in, into my adult life, the feelings of, of safety and, and no, no safety on the outside. There were a few other things that happened that um, when I was six, I think the kind of the penultimate moment, if you will, for my soul going, what the heck is going on here, was an incident that happened at school. And it was, it was uh, so this would be grade one, I was six years old, and, and the teacher was ignoring my upstretched hand. I desperately needed um, uh, a nature break, and, and she was totally ignoring me, and of course, I had an accident and fainted dead away. And so to a six-year-old, this is terribly traumatic to have happen around your, your school, your college, your, your, all the other children are sitting there going, oh my gosh, you know, laughing at you and all this. So this was a hugely traumatic thing for, um, for I think, the psyche of my little six-year-old self. And that was the point at which um, I say my soul walked out. And it didn't walk out, but it, it kind of went, oh, okay, this is not exactly what I bargained for. All these things are happening happening to me, and they're they're not very secure. They're not very safe. They're a bit risky. And so there was something that split at that point. So part of my soul kind of hived itself off and and thought, well, when life gets more serious, I'm going to just come back. And that didn't happen until I was about 56. Um, and so I I spent the way I see it when I go back when I went back over my life, I spent the next decades with sometimes feeling like my soul was firmly in residence and feeling totally confident and in control of my my inner self and my inner being and then other times when I would be practically too afraid to get out of bed in the morning. So it was kind of waffled back and forth like this until the incident where in in uh when I was fifty six and I and I was working with the shaman and, and we went through um, some sessions, and then I had this dream vision of the two little. I had a dream vision of two little girls in the meadow, and they were the two pieces of me at the age of six, where they had become kind of disjointed from each other. And that was I, I was able to then understand, heal, and bring that that other part of me back in. Um, so it's a soul retrieval, um, and that's the point where everything became secure and solid, and I understood who I was, what I was, um, and, and um, I think the value of all of that uh, for any of us is, is understanding who we are. So I was able to understand who I was by going backwards in time and going, oh, that's why I was doing that, that's why I did that, that's why I did this. All these things that happened and the things that I did where I think, why did I do that? Why would I, you know, and I, oh, that's why. That's why all that happened. Now I understand. And and it provided me with a measure of peace within um, and was and, and allowed me to stop kind of berating myself or saying, oh, that was really dumb, Catherine. Why are you being so stupid? Well, I wasn't being dumb and I wasn't being stupid. It was, it was just they're all a series of events and there are reasons for the series of events that we do. Um, and understanding, anyway, that, that's... Uh, that's kind of where all that, I don't know, does that make any sense? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <clears throat> and I'm just as I'm listening to you talk, I'm, I'm thinking, I suppose that 
the majority of people out there have had um, a similar sequence, maybe different, um, you know, details. But mm-hmm. how does how that shapes us? Mm-hmm. And 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 sometimes it's it's it can be debilitating, especially if you've been you know kind of uh, withdrawing without really you know understanding it all. And now yeah. I mean after the work that you've done, it seems like you really have connected the dots. And you know when you understand why something is the way it is, um, you can either uh, Adopt it or, or or get rid of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and the 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 key one of the key things in the message that um, that was given to me by this by this gentleman um, is that that our relationship with our soul is the most important relationship we will ever have, and it's the only relationship that we actually need um, in in this life. Um, and and how the relationship between the soul and the human um, connects together was a big piece of the message that he passed to me. And so, by me going back over the course of my life, I understood how my kind of my human physical um, and emotional um, structure had formed um, through, you know. Um, traditions, conditioning, traumas, experiences, uh, DNA, you know, the, the, the family genetics and so forth. This is all part of the human side of who we are. Um, but the soul comes from a totally different place, and it's coming into this human body, and it's um, the soul and the human need to come to a harmonious agreement with one another, if you will, um, certainly a harmonious way of operating with each other. Um, the soul needs the human side of us to manifest and create what it's here to experience. And the human side of us, of course, cannot live without the soul animating it. So the two are 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 like best buddies. And that was the, the big thing that hit me was all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, my soul's like my best friend. It's the most intimate, intimate part of me. Of all of us, and I can't. Why wasn't I taught this when I was three? <laughs> you know what? Um, <laughs> you know, and I, and that's a that's a really harsh statement. So I'm just going to take that one right back um, because it's not a case of saying why wasn't I taught this. Um, it, it is the way it is, and and so part of the reason why I think this gentleman wanted me to write this book was to, to get the message out that that the that the sooner we we the more we talk about the soul and the soul human connection and the more we do to our younger generations um as they're growing so they don't go through periods where they they think oh there is no soul what are you talking about there's just there's just my human i mean i do what i want i don't have to worry about this soul thing um the soul's there whether you believe it's there or not and it and and the the sooner the sooner that we can get the soul and the human into some kind of a, fu- harmonic, a harmonious fusion, um, life becomes so much less complicated. Um, and so part of, part of the process I went through was learning how to communicate with my soul. And 
first of all, you know, understanding it has its own language and how does it speak to me? And everybody's soul speaks to everybody in a different, in, in, in their own unique way. And so to find your own unique vocabulary of, you, of your soul communicating to you um, and then being able to open that dialogue on a moment-by-moment basis forever and forever um, is, is really key. It was tr- it's truly life-changing. Um, I don't struggle anymore with all the what ifs or what for questions. I just talk to my soul. Like, uh, I know what my soul wants to do here and what it's here to manifest and experience. So I kind of say, so uh, is this is this where we're is this where we need to go right now? And the answers come very quickly. Um, and it it's uh, it's just a, a wonderful, peaceful um, place to be. Have you ever found that your soul had an answer that you didn't? Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, heavens, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And and this is this and yeah and that's where it gets it gets a little difficult sometimes. But um, the point is the the other part of the message. Um, beautiful segue, Ariel. Thank you. The second part of the <laughs> message <laughs> was that. Beyond us determining kind of what the soul's agenda, if you will, is here, what it wants to experience here, there is an intent that it brings in um, which goes one step deeper than that. And that intent is that whatever it prompts us to do, it will never prompt us to do anything harmful. And it will never... Um, and, and everything that it is prompting us to do is of the best intention for us, soul human, to actually manifest and create what it's here to do. So even though some of the, the decisions that you say, oh, are difficult, um, I have come to understand how it's only the human side of me that thinks it's difficult. The soul's going, yeah, but that's why I'm here. This is what I'm here to experience. So why are you saying it's so difficult? Um, that's the human side saying it's difficult. This would be our emotions and our and perhaps some remnant memories of traumas or, or, or other uh, conditionings and so forth that are saying, oh, that's difficult. Um, the soul is is wants to experience certain things and, and nothing in there is going to necessarily be harmful. So, yeah. That when I realized that that was really, you know, I went through a divorce. I uh, and and that was my soul saying, "You cannot do this anymore. You, you really need to move past this. This you have learned everything you need to learn here. It's time to move past this because we need to move to the next, the next experience." And 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 at the time, my you know, the human side of me was going, "Oh, like all like we do. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is just so heavy. This is hard. This is traumatic. This is blah 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 blah." But actually, it was the best thing. It was the right move, both for me and my former husband, and for my daughter as well. Like, it was the best thing in the end. Um, And so the soul did know, and it was prompting me in the right direction. Um, So it, 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 yeah, does that make sense? It sure does. Um, And do you, uh, how do you, um, I mean, just and we're talking about vocabulary at this time. Is there a difference between what people would think of as the higher self 
and the soul and what's that relationship in your understanding? Mm. Um, that's a good question. Um, I This may sound funny, but I'm not 100% sure that I really understand the concept of the higher self. Um, and I... And I I do. I understand what the the soul is. The soul and the higher self, perhaps the same thing. Um, some people believe that it is. Um, others, uh, I know, others just say, well, there's just the soul, and that the higher self is is not there. It's just a soul. And so I, you know, I really am not sure um, personally. I I I talk to my soul, and if it's a soul or a combination of the soul plus the higher self, whatever that is, um, I don't know. Um, I just know that it's, it's for sure it's my soul. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I, I was just, just wondering how you how you perceive that um, mm-hmm. because, yeah, I don't <clears> – <throat> a, a lot of people, you know, talk about the higher self, and uh, it seems to me that, that there is a uh, like an over uh, – an energy that's, that stays in – in the uh well uh, where does it stay what should i call that um in the other in another dimension <clears throat> you know mm-hmm. i mean uh, religious people would say heaven but um yeah. and then part of that soul uh, comes into the body and then there's always the 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 silver cord connecting the yes. two yeah so <clears throat> i mean it seems like to me, that you could not possibly separate the soul from the higher self. They may mm-hmm. reside in 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 different sections or dimensions, but they're mm-hmm. always connected. Mm-hmm. So if you can, if you you know, if indeed the higher self is an even higher version of your soul, <clears throat> then if you are in touch with your soul, you are therefore in touch with your higher self. Now that's, yes, that's yes, yes, like, yeah. Yeah, and and actually, um, no, no, you're you're absolutely right. And the the way that I tend to view it is that the the soul is made up of multiple fragments, multiple pieces, multiple aspects, and and so there may only be a few of those aspects that actually incarnate into the human body, and the rest of it is up there. It's a way. It, the way I see it is just such a much. It's a huge huge humongous um entity um each of the souls and so there's only part of it that actually incarnates and so i i think i'm agreeing exactly with you the higher self whatever stays in the other realms and is connected through the silver cord for sure if you call it the higher self or the 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 soul and soul fragments i think um it's language right i i i think we're yeah, just trying yeah, to, it, it, we're it, trying it to describe matter. in language I think the same thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> English language is, is a bit of a when I started when I was trying to write all this stuff down in the book too, it was like it was language. Oh my goodness, what words to use and there are there are so many different words out there for, for everything that um I think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a beautiful command of the English language as I was oh, reading. Thank you. Um Yes, as I was reading the 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 pictures came alive through your mm. words and and that's really the way the soul communicates is through pictures 
Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, for I mean, not only that, but I mean, the the ETs, uh, everybody that's in a higher dimension, they communicate with pictures because it's more telepathic. So mm-hmm. as as I'm reading as I'm reading your book, I could see the pictures through your words. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you chose you chose very wisely um, the words that that would serve to um, evoke an image like that. And I could mm-hmm. see the little girls in the field, and and you know, and and your comment about that it, that it bothered you that the um, that their eyes were empty. Yes. Yeah. Because they were they were disconnected. Mhm. Mhm. You know, and you have to wonder how many people are walking around with 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 fragments like that. That that um, I mean, you can still function. But mm-hmm. are you, you know, are you operating on all eight cylinders or just one? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, and this is where the free will that we have, we, we don't have to listen to our our soul, soul fragment if, when it's telling us. We, we don't have to listen. We can say no. We can say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to go do whatever else I want. We can do that. And so I think the, the soul is endlessly patient um, and endlessly prompting us. Um, but we still have the choice as to what we want to do here um, in our human self. So I think that there are, um, there certainly are people walking around. I certainly was walking around for decades with a part of me not not really there and thinking that I was a perfectly uh, normal, effective, functioning um, human being, and and I was in one in that one side i was just the soul i think adds such a richness like the it, there's just more richness to the experience when um when you get the soul connected up with the human at, at uh in in harmony right and everything available i kind of get the image while you were talking is like most people are walking around and and they think their house is nice and neat and tidy, but don't open up the closets, you know, yeah. or the drawers, because <laughs> everything is just kind of like jammed in there all willy nilly. Um, and yeah. I think yeah. most people are, you know, they've they've got a, a, a an immediate sphere of organized normalcy. Um, you know, this is you know this is good life, but yeah. they've tucked so much away that they don't realize that you mm-hmm. know. They've got a lot more in their bank account than they're operating on, <laughs> and they, you know, and and this, this, um, this book I think really helps to stimulate people to reconnect and 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 get access to that that other account that's holding so many goodies. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be my my sincere hope, um, and and that's part of the reason why I I detailed some of the. Events that happened. There was um, uh, I did ha- I I attempted suicide at one point in my twenties, and I experienced a rape uh, in my teen years. And there's there's part of the reason why I included those things was was to for the very reason that you just said is that un- until we actually dig into what's in that closet, um, if we can decide never to look what's in the closet and just carry on but the minute we if we want to have a richer more um well just a richer more um more more um uh, i can't find my word effective experience in life um to dig into the closets 
really helps to, and it's painful. You pull that stuff up and you think, oh, how am I going to get through this? Oh, my God, that memory just, oh, my goodness, that happened. How? Oh, and, and it's painful and it's emotional. And, um, but getting through that on the other side of that pain is where the journey is beautiful. And then taking the wisdom of that experience with you um, just allows for much, much joy to enter into your life. And, and that's what I really would love for people to take away from the book is, is the soul human concept and don't be afraid to dig into the, I call it opening Pandora's box. Um, don't be afraid to do that, even though, don't be afraid of, of pain. Um, because the pain, you can lance it and get through it, and um, life will be so much more joyful after that. Absolutely, you know, and really, then that's a metaphor for so many things that um, that people tend to shun or shy away from because, oh, you know, I, I, it's it's going to be hard or it's going to be painful. Um, I know, man. I I put off cleaning up my outside shed for about a year. <laughs> I was like, oh, I got better things to do than, than go yeah. deal with that. And way when I finally got into it, it's like just do it, just do it. And when I was done, oh my gosh! I mean, freedom, having that organized, and and having you know more space. And when you clean out yeah. all the stuff that's clogging up your you know your your subconscious, mm-hmm. then there's room for more better stuff. Oh, for sure, for sure. I, uh, I, the rage that I carried under the surface that 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 I didn't even know was there. But then I came to understand how it manifested. It didn't actually manifest through me as rage. It manifested as irritation. And I think, why do I get irritated with that person or irritated in that? And I realized underneath that there was a huge rage boiling. And once that was, I had cleared that out, uh, and that took some time. But once I finally got to kind of the bottom of all of that and cleared all that rage out, it was like, okay, there's a big space in here. Now what am I going to fill it with? And and I had to really think, okay, what am I going to fill this with? Well, I filled it with light, I filled it with love, went to my heart, you know. But it's 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 to clean out that stuff you don't realize, as I didn't realize, oh, my gosh, there's going to be a big space here and I can actually fill it with something, <laughs> like you just said. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Put some good stuff in there. That's right. So, um, <laughs> let me let me let me give you um, a, a kind of a, a scenario and and how um, you think your book might help in a situation where um, someone is starting to wake up, um, has had um, a very you know 3D life you know you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that and then you're then you're supposed to get married and then you're supposed to have kids and you know you people just go into that 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 program uh because everyone else does and that's mm-hmm. supposedly expected but mm-hmm. and then something happens and then they they start waking up and they start seeing like 1111 over and over and over again and that's often the first trigger and then yeah. Um, and then they reach a point where, okay, I know that there's something more, but they have such a grip on, you know, third dimensional logic and analysis that um, mm-hmm. it can be difficult to access 
um, the soul, the true emotions, the feelings, you know, the 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 telepathy. So how um, how can you see your book helping in those situations? Um, I think uh, what I would hope would be that um, by reading how I went through that situation where exactly as you as you described it where things started happening um and that were curious and curiouser um how i went through that um the key is to stop and 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 notice the key is to notice that oh i'm seeing 1111 like 10 times a day or or 10 times a week i should say um and to notice that and question and say well, why um and and one of the things that helped me a lot was, was, um, and I do talk about this in the book as well, is is uh, how my soul speaks to me. What kind of messages? Um, how, what what is its vocabulary? And and often the vocabulary is is um, uh, we don't notice it until we tell ourselves to notice it. And and I love the eleven eleven because it's so it's so obvious. You know, when you're looking at 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 clocks and you see eleven eleven, you think, "Well, that's really obvious. What the heck is that all about?" Um, and and just to stop and say, "Well, why? What is that?" and and ask for explanations, ask for clarity, and then notice what happens. Um, the body, uh, the soul's vocabulary is very visceral, as you said, very visceral, very physical, very image oriented. Everything from giving you shivers and shudders and tickles and and to words or phrases or images popping into your into your inner inner eyes, um, your inner vision, um, and to stop and notice these things and just say, what is that? And I found it. And I again, I talk about this in the book too. That that at this point, um, find someone who's who's been down the road before, who can who can help you. Uh, there were two or three amazing, amazing uh, women who guided me when I was thinking, I don't know what that is. That thing just happened to me? What is that thing? And I've, saw, I've seen it four times. What is it? And I had amazing – you, Ariel, Lavendar as well, were two um, amazing women who helped me at the, very, at the beginning of my journey where um, uh, I was able to – you opened up a whole other level of understanding on a starseed galactic level that I hadn't even um, entertained before. I didn't even didn't really even think about it before. And so, finding someone, asking the universe to send you someone who's going to help you understand what you're seeing or feeling is really important. Um, but it's really noticing. It's like um, not just walking through your day thinking, ah, eh, whatever that was was kind of cute, but going, oh, what. What is that? You know, what is that? Stopping and noticing it. Right. Well, you know, you have to ask a question to get an answer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and as we tell our clients, if you ask three times in a row, that kind of seals the deal. Yeah. Because there's that there's that number three that it's a quickening where things, you know, become they become. That's all. That's all I can say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, as you were talking about how your body will tell you 
mm-hmm. what your soul is trying to communicate. So it's, if you were if you were hearing something or uh, watching something, and it kind of made you a little like a little sick to your stomach, maybe knots in your stomach, isn't that a good guide point that whatever you're watching or hearing is not in alignment with you and your soul? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, you know, these things happen all the time. I get, I get shivers, and I've, I've, I stopped often enough to wonder what the shiver is, what the shudder is, what the involuntary breath is, the tickle in my solar plexus. Um, I've stopped long enough to, to be able to now know that when I get a certain shiver or I get a certain type of shudder or a certain type of breath, I know what that means because they're always the same. They're meaning the same thing. Um, tickles in my solar plexus, that, that has a very specific meaning to me. And so when you stop long enough, and another thing is density and lightness. I mean, there are, there are times when, when my physical body will have such lead-footed density to it, and or my chest is caved in, or I've got a strange ache or pain. In the book, I talk about the volcano in my, in my digestive system. Well, that was a huge communication. That was fire, anger, acid throughout my body. This was a huge way of my soul was trying to say, would you stop what you're doing and pay attention to what's going on. Um, so, yeah, but everyone's soul communicates in a different way to them. So finding what that language is, um, but it is very visceral because how else can the soul communicate? It's got to be visceral. It's living in our bodies. It's, going, it's of course, going to be visceral. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Did I answer and, your and question? Certainly. Did I answer your yeah, question? Yeah, yeah. Well, we might. Sort of. We, we could, I mean, we could turn a deaf ear or a blind eye. Mm-hmm. to other things but when your body hurts yeah that gets your attention immediately mhm so yeah, yeah for i mean sure. that 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 makes really good sense and it and and certainly you know everyone's got their own you know patterns and secret codes that uh, it's like oh when that happens my soul's trying to tell me this or that mm-hmm. um and so you have to pay attention and as you said you have to notice mhm you know mm-hmm. just be aware of of things around you and and you know so many people walk around in a fog and it's it's not entirely um you know it's not anybody's fault with all the electromagnetics and cell phone you know signals here yeah. and there it affect it gives you brain fog and so we walk around mm-hmm. in that fog just kind of going through the motions but when you mm-hmm. know when you're it's like gosh you know why is my knee buckling <laughs> you know um mm-hmm. you have to think about that it's like okay so you ask and and then pay attention. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought it was, I, I liked the the story that you told um, about you know playing with the idea of being a classical singer, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. um, and then you got a part in Mary Poppins. And oh, would you yes. tell that story? I thought it was pretty cute. Oh, sure. Um, yes, I. Uh, uh, oh. I studied singing. Uh, I, well, my family was musical, uh, loved music, and and um, singers and piano players and all the rest. And and both my brothers and I all went and went into um, uh, we went into university, and we each of us got music degrees. Actually, performance. Mine was a a performance degree in in voice, and I sang classically. I was trained classically and and sang classically for quite a few years. And um, so when I was younger, this was Mary Poppins. That was, I think, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, somewhere in there. 
And um, I, of course, had been studying singing, sang in the church choir. You know, I had a fairly decent little voice for a 13-year-old, 12-year-old. And um, and so I was cast as Mrs. Banks in Mary Poppins. Um, and Mrs. Banks what is, for those who don't know the story, Mrs. Banks is the suffragette. So um, there is a very famous song um, about the suffragette movement in the the musical um, Mary Poppins, and um, and I remember seeing it as a young child, seeing the 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 movie for the first time, and I think it was Glynis Johns, I think, the actress that plays Mrs. Banks. Oh my God, she was just wonderful, and she struts around and she sings this song about the suffragette movement, and and so when I got the part um, as Mrs. Banks, I thought, okay, well, this is okay. I'm not Mary, but at least I'm Mrs. Banks, and <laughs> I can sing this song, <laughs> and um, and um, the song was cut, and and I I and was was a quite a shy child and was not really forceful in any way but for some reason this is where I I talk about this story as saying I think my soul decided it was going to come home and stick with me that day because I went into the the director and I kind of said I want to sing that song um like that's Mrs. Banks's song how can I not sing that song and he said well okay Catherine okay um because I was such a shy child that kind of retiring I think no one really thought I was capable and that was the theme that went through most of my younger life was was anytime I did something that was out of my norm it was like oh Catherine she's doing something so this is what happened so I, I I was allowed to sing the song and I strutted out onto those boards and I sang my little heart out about the suffragette movement and and then the musical continued and afterwards everybody was looking at me like Oh my goodness! Where did that come from? That was that was great. We didn't think you had it in you, and that's the interesting part because with the soul coming and going, or the soul fragment piece, whatever, coming and going over the years, there were moments where I was like totally on, and totally confident, and 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 then lots and lots of moments where I wasn't, and so people would kind of look at me and think, oh well, she's not really gonna amount to much or she's not really going to do much and she's just a nice person and uh and then i i would my soul would like okay we're going to do something now and i do it and they go oh didn't think you had it in you and this is this <laughs> you know this is this is but that also to a child you see that also reinforces the sense of of lack of self-esteem right when you think oh nobody thinks i can do this so why do i push myself so it's, yeah. it's fascinating when you go back over your life and kind of go through these things. Yeah. <laughs> it <was fun>. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in taking, I mean, taking a look at it um, kind of dispassionately, because mm-hmm. I'm sure that there was a lot of angst when you were right in it, you know, I really want to sing this song. But when you mm-hmm. can look at it <clears throat> retrospectively, um, more as an observer, and, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, you're seeing the, the little girl that, that used to be you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you can look at things a little bit more, um, uh, I don't want to say clearly, but truthfully, without mm-hmm. the without the emotional angst that went along with it. You can just see it for what it was. Yeah, and it's like okay, so that's what that was, and then and that's how that you know seed got planted. That you know you might not want to try, mm-hmm. <laughs> but 
But when people say, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know you had that in you, and it's like, well, mm-hmm. you knew and your soul knew. Yeah. Yeah, and that and what I guess what the the kind of the moral of that story, if you will, is is that I was able to then fast forward through my adult life as a as a wife, as a mother, as a as a a, um, a corporate executive, and and look at instances throughout those years where I knew I had all of this in me. I knew it was there. Why wasn't I able to bring it out? And the moments where the odd moments where it did come out. Um, and then most of the time where I just felt like there was something holding me back. So there were bands around me somehow that were just kind of holding me back from actually. And and that creates all this trauma as an adult of feeling uh, of negative feelings about oneself. And, and, and there was this, as I say, that kind of ended at one point with a suicide attempt and so forth. And, and, and so it was able, I was able to explain to myself what myself was doing <laughs> in a sense and then was able to say okay let's just let's get in there and heal that let's heal that let's let's remind ourselves whenever that thought or that action comes forward now in my life I kind of go oh I know what that is and we we don't need that anymore that's not part of me anymore well it's part of me but I don't need to act on that anymore because you know I've, I've healed the emotional uh, the, the trauma around that and and it is now just a memory that sits within me, and and um, it no longer drives my life. And that I think is the really the really key thing for for part of why I wrote the book was was that these things can be he- all of this can be healed. It it can be healed, and and it can be healed in all of our bodies: emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, and um, and then they're just. There's the wisdom of of these things that you take with you, and and but they don't drive your life anymore. And it seems to me that if unless a person has that um, bond with their soul and the interaction and the you know is like a friend <laughs> that that yeah. is always there that knows more about the. Um, the, the grand scheme of things than than our little third dimensional brains, but it seems mm-hmm. to me that unless you have, um, you know, I say made peace with your soul, unless you've cleared out all of this stuff and these these little um, lavender calls them silent submarines, you don't know they're there, but they're <laughs> always under the surface, you know, ready to shoot yep. their torpedoes at you. Um, yeah. Unless unless you have uh, dealt with all of that. How could it be possible for anyone to have a successful relationship with another human if mm-hmm. you haven't got one with your own soul? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree with you on that one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can go through the motions, but the really deeply rewarding bonds with another person, mm-hmm. um, I think, can only be attained <clears throat> when you've got that within yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, like they say, if if you don't love yourself, who would? You know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And yeah. and you know, I think the other thing is too that our soul is 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 here. Our soul has made the decision to to incarnate into a human, into the human 3D structure, for very specific reasons. And and um, it's really in a hurry to get that stuff done. Like so, the sooner we can connect. Um, the human and the soul together, and and get that open dialogue flowing. 
Um, and then the soul can say to you, okay, so this is why I decided I wanted to come to, to Earth Life, and this is what I, I'm here to experience. And, and so can we just get on with it now? When you don't have that connection and that dialogue open, then that, that becomes more difficult. I'm not saying it isn't going to, whatever the soul wants to experience isn't going to happen, but it maybe can be a little more difficult and, and uh, more time-consuming to get there. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you, I mean, when you factor in the starseed souls mm-hmm. that really did come here for you know, a mission to, to assist Earth through the the changes and you know bringing and and anchoring the the fifth dimensional um, vibration on the planet, um, yeah. starseed souls. You know that I mean that's going to take a lot of different <laughs> people doing a lot of different things to to really anchor yeah. that in. Yeah. But you know we all got amnesia, and mm-hmm. and the plan is that at some point there's going to be a trigger and the amnesia starts to lift and you start to you know. Like, wait a minute, I think I forgot something, and you start searching for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that it's really, yeah. I think, even more important um, for for our audience that um, that you go, you know, that you do this work because I, you're, you're going to, you know, clear away all the, all the, you know, the, the third dimensional stuff that, you knew it was coming, but you didn't know how it was going to be like, you know, uh, like a straitjacket that no one could get off. Right, right. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, it, it, it's really critical, and and for star seeds particularly, and and um, this is where the the if if we were if we were in a world that would would keep our children um, in a space where they they are where they understand what a soul is and they understand the human soul connection, um, even though perhaps, you know, the mission that we're here to do isn't going to, like mine didn't start till I was 50, right? It was, and there was an intense seven years where I practically killed my body trying to get everything cleared out and, and to the point where I knew exactly what it is, you know, what I'm here for, um, what, that, what those objectives are and, and, and what the timing of all of that is. Um, but if if my soul human dialogue had been open, more open on a conscious level, um, all the years of my life, it even though my mission still wasn't going to start, I still wasn't going to get turned on until I was fifty, and uh, it would have perhaps made the la- the seven years that it took me, maybe they would have been shorter, um, maybe it wouldn't have been quite so difficult to clear away because I would have already cleared a lot of, or maybe in some cases, some of the trauma I wouldn't have even had um, if there was a clear understanding of the soul-human connection right from the very get-go as a small child. Because children, mm-hmm. yes, there's the amnesia, of course, but they do see, they do, they see, they see the other dimensions. They see the fairies in the grass. They, they, there, there is a connection there, but then we sort of, we adults, we take that away from them as soon as, we see them looking at fairies in the grass. We go, oh no, no, there aren't any fairies there. Um, and so that that openness to the the metaphysical um, kind of gets shut down at some point. And I think it would be so wonderful if we could just keep all that open. Um, right. That's whatever the typical. time, whatever the timing of the mission is, you know. 
Mm-hmm. A, a typical um, starseed story. As a, oh yeah, yeah, when I was you know before I went to grade school, um, you know I was seeing dead people and communicating, and they were completely open. And then mm-hmm. uh, and then at some point they realized that you know that they were being um, you know singled out as being you know weird. You're a freak. There's other people don't do that. Yeah. You, and then they shut yeah. it all down. And they yeah. shut it all down. Yeah. And sometimes it's twenty, thirty years mm-hmm. before it's like, okay, um, <laughs> let's try this again. And yeah. and then they and then they get it turned back on. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I wish that um, that people did. I mean, children didn't have to lose their wonder and their belief in the impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what you know. Yeah. That's what you know, it's like. Oh, you can't. You know, you can't fly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, um, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I want to um, also ask you if you do you have a, a, a practice? It seemed that um, with the material that that Karen sent me, that you that you maintain um, a, a, a consulting practice. Um, well, I'm a trained shamanic practitioner, and I'm also. Um, trained in the use of crystals and um and um other types of energy work and and so I in between writing um I do uh have a practice um it kind of comes and goes because when I'm writing I'm really in the middle of that but um I do uh it's one of my greatest privileges to help others um uh to open up their their own their own light and their own soul voice um within themselves and 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 kind of go through go through those those healings um and it's based on i i studied the shamanic arts for many years and um so it's kind of based on that and i and i mix together sound techniques and and uh crystal techniques and so forth and various types of energy things and 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 basically follow what i'm guided to do with with um when we get into a session with person so it's one on ones mostly um uh is i think probably what you're referring to yeah mm-hmm. i can do remotes as well um you know for people who are not able to come to me personally um and it is interesting because it seems that there are a lot of people that i have worked with so far mostly women actually um so far um are star seeds and and star seeds that don't know they're star seeds. Um and so that's a fascinating, just a beautiful thing to watch when someone oh, actually yeah. opens up as you know, eh, as you know, mm-hmm. opens up and goes, Oh, that's what this is all about and that's why I feel so strange. <laughs> now I get right. it. <laughs> right. So and, and people can contact you through your website. Through my um, website. Um yep. CatherineGraceLandry dot um, com. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm going to spell Catherine because there's so many different ways to spell it. It's okay. C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, Grace Landry, L-A-N-D-R-Y, dot com. And your book is available not only there, but also um, on satyamapublishing.com, and it's also on Amazon. Yes. Yes, it's okay. on Amazon in paperback and ebook at the moment. Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, this has just been a very wonderful chat. Uh, good to talk to you again, and I'm just so proud of you for bringing this to uh, fruition. 
you know, you took a concept and now it's a real thing. So, well done. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes, and we really I encourage everyone to pick up a copy. I think you've got a, a chapter available on your site where people can kind of get a sample. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yes, uh, yes, and you, you just you write very well, and it's very yeah. easy mm-hmm. to read. I mean, it just flows so nicely. Oh, thank you. So, uh, yes, and, and I remember when I when I saw your chart uh, and you had the the north and south nodes in the houses for writing and publishing. Mm-hmm. Like, boy, your name's all over that. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, good job. Good job. Thank you. Well, it's just been a pleasure to talk with you, and um, Karen must have had something um, come up at the last minute uh, because we did call, and mm-hmm. but uh, she wanted it to be about you anyway. So we're so grateful that you've had the time to spend with us, and when you're uh, and I know you're writing um, another book. Yes, you're gonna, you're doing a trilogy, correct? Yes, this uh, the this uh, the second in the trilogy is called The Way of the Light Keeper. And um, it is probably going to be out by the, the summer, maybe early fall at the latest. Um, and it's about the concepts of light and the heart and uh, love and light. And um, and then there's a third book. We'll we'll kind of um, uh, finish up the trilogy. Yeah, and that'll be out in another year or so. I'm just starting to work on that one. Yeah, oh, excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being with us, and I hope that a lot of Star Seeds will pick up a copy of your book and and really kind of connect the dots like you did. It's very liberating. It is, and thank you very, very much for for giving me this opportunity to to speak about it today. It was a real pleasure, Ariel. Oh, well, that goes both ways. So thank you so much for being with us, and I'm going to wrap up now, and I thank the audience for sharing their time with us, and we'll be back next week with another special guest, and until then, make sure that you find compassion and gratitude in every day. Good night, everyone. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.